I'm going to throw another argument uh, in favor of Bill Gates not okay. uh, releasing the coronavirus. If they knew in any way that this was going to happen, they would have made Skype better. It's still shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast. This is called Are We There Yet? Season 1, The COVID-19 Experience. My name is Max and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host Ines. Ines, thank you for joining and doing this fun experiment with me. Hey Max, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Unlike many, many things we're seeing around us. Very true. And the purpose of this podcast is we want to be talking about what's going on within this COVID experience. This is a fun experiment to talk to people around the world, find out what's going on from their perspective, and just kind of learn and take a journey together and kind of have this as a little time capsule. So each episode is going to be a brand new topic area. This particular one, we're actually looking at conspiracy theories to kick off because we've got a lot of conspiracy theories floating around and a lot of stuff happening. And we have Joshua from our foundations podcast joining us a little bit later but before we get there we want to start off these podcasts with a little bit of good news and a little bit of celebration so Ines you are the good news master what can you tell me this week that's going to make me smile oh wow such an honor the good news master yay <laughs> um right so last week actually a major advance was made we learned that the Oxford University has actually started human trials of a vaccine for the novel coronavirus. This is something that we are all expecting very, very much. And yeah, we really want a vaccine right now because as we hear around us, there aren't many other ways. So the good news here is that they predict that this vaccine um, tested by the Oxford University is going to, ha- is what, what was it? It has an 80% likelihood of being effective. These are Ooh. great odds. I know. Our good odds. And we and need this to go back to normal exactly we need to get back to some kind of normalcy and the only way that's going to happen is either with your herd immunity or with an actual vaccine and let's focus on the vaccine rather than Mm -hmm. the other one please and thank you yeah herd immunity i think it's been revealed okay i'm not the bad news master but i think it's been slowly (laughs) revealed that it's it might not actually be effective like we don't know that so please nobody go to a nightclub right now yeah it's Um, far too dangerous yeah, but imagine with, with that vaccine, ideally, go Oxford. Um, we'll be back in the pub within the year, Max. That's that's all we hope for. That is I our know. main goal. So good work, Oxford. Please keep plugging away and we'll watch the space very carefully. But now it's time to get cracking on with the very first episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We do appreciate it. If you do enjoy this podcast, make sure you do subscribe, share it around, tell your friends. Uh, We have a very interesting debate and conversation with Joshua. Uh, There's a lot of good information that gets thrown around. So we're going to focus on the three main conspiracy theories that are making the rounds in the world at the moment. So should we get started and throw over to our first interview? Sure. Let's go ahead. Do this. And now joining us, we've got Joshua, who is the host of the Our Foundations podcast. Joshua, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast and talking to us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Of course. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're going to be discussing conspiracy theories around coronavirus. Now, obviously, this is something that's only been going on for the past four months now. But so far, and we're just going to talk about three of them. But if you delve deep into this, and Ines, you sent me an article earlier which has had lists and lists of lists of uh, conspiracy theories, which is crazy to kind of have this level of increase so quickly. And 
the first question I want to throw out to both of you really is, where does this mindset of conspiracy theories really come from? And, and why do you think, especially at the moment, we're seeing such a rise in conspiracy theories? Um, well, one of the things that I have noticed and I've been paying attention to is just the rise of anti-establishment movements in general. And there's a lot less trust in governments and official institutions of that sort. And so I think that really plays into it from one side where people don't really trust the news. They don't really trust their governments. They don't really trust politicians as a whole. And so they're a lot uh, better primed for a good conspiracy theory and they latch on fairly easily. And then you also have an aspect that uh, we've discussed prior to this recording that oftentimes you have a legitimate concern, a legitimate maybe conspiracy or aspect of corruption. But if you are hit with a conspiracy theory that's on the same subject, but it's really easy to debunk and it doesn't really sound correct, then you might blow off the entire subject and not look into detail into the more legitimate side. Mm -hmm. And so at times it can be used as a distraction, but again, people are primed to really latch onto that right now with these societal shifts that have been going on over the past uh, few decades, really. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I think that at the at the root of why people look for conspiracy theories is first as joshua was saying there is a very low level of information um so much more at this time when we literally don't know many things but people i think um a, a key search for people is for certainty so we are looking to believe something uh if we are very desperate to believe something we don't really mind whether it makes absolute logical sense or if it's the truth, because we are looking for that sort of psychological high where you go, okay, I got the truth. I now have some form of control, which is obviously totally illusory, um, but it makes people feel better if they can sort of pin the blame onto something or someone. Mm -hmm. and, and this is kind of the encompassing point I want to make you 100% right there, Ines, in, in the sense of um, with the internet and everything that we have at our disposal at the moment in terms of resources, you can pretty much Google or search either way to support your opinion. There's a, there's a lot of evidence on, on each side to validate whatever your made-up mind is mm -hmm. from the get-go. So that that's kind of a danger. And, and this is what I wanted to start off the podcast by saying. It's like, at no point do I want to say anyone is right or wrong on a particular opinion because that's everyone's given right to have an opinion on any sort of subject matter. All I request of anyone in this world is fact-checking. From, from, from a journalistic standpoint, this is the only favor that I ask from anyone, is that if you see a source and you believe it and it, it resonates with you, totally fine. Just dig a little bit more. Just, just research that subject matter. Find out from different sources where that source came from before sending that message on. Because I think a lot of what we're going to speak about today could have been resolved a lot quicker if people had done that in the first place and that's always my bugbear I'm, I'm fine with whatever you believe it's just the random sharing based on reading headlines and so many yeah. journalistic or I, I put that in air quotes journal tabloids such as I'm looking at you BuzzFeed who do <laughs> clickbait headlines yeah just to grab attention and it's dangerous and we're in a world now where you can't be dangerous with the facts or, or the news yeah and I would um I fully back that uh, but I would also advance the proposition here that, in fact, fact-checking is not what people want. Like, 
the, the reason why people do not check their facts is because it's easier to believe the certainty of, the, of whatever the first page of Google results give you, gives you than to go on a whole sort of search for truth which might show you stuff that you don't want to believe. And humans, we are very, very good at tricking ourselves and sort of putting, um, what do you call this, uh, blinkers on. I've got a, a little bit of a side note that's very relevant here. So I've done a lot of research on the education system as a whole. And if you get into the education system and how people learn and how they learn how to think, we see that over the past few decades, there's been a big push for highlighting the fact that there is no such thing as absolute truth. We have things like relative morality, what's right for you might not be, mm -hmm. be right for me and vice versa. And uh, a lot of things like this that aren't necessarily bad or wrong in and of themselves, but when you push that to an extreme, a lot of times people feel like they don't have any truth. They don't have a sense of ethics. They don't have a, a, a foundation. They don't have anything that they can really lean on and really trust because everything's relative. And that causes some problems because, number one, people, like you had mentioned, they latch onto their own ideas and that's all they want to verify because, you know, it's their truth. Mm -hmm. Or you can go to the opposite extreme, such as people that have gotten led into extremist religious um, cults and things like that, where they do see a group that has structure and they have set principles. They have absolute truth and values, and that is attractive to them because it's missing in our culture. And I think that does play into things. And then also with our education system, you learn that what the textbook says is true and what the teacher says is true. You don't learn to fact check your teacher or your textbook. Mm -hmm. That's just not the way you're programmed to learn. And so when people get out of school, well, it's not that surprising that they also don't fact check their sources when they are out of school as well. Now in school, they do teach you to fact check when you're doing research paper and that type of thing. But if it's a source that's trustworthy, like your teacher or textbook, then you don't question it. Just like if it's a trustworthy source from someone that you believe and you trust or an organization like that, then they don't really fact check. And so people are just so focused on consumerism, entertainment, convenience, those are the things they spend their time on. And again, they're not really all that concerned or uh, have much of a desire to really dig into fact-checking and research and educating themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big problems here. Mm. Yeah, I could not agree more. Sorry, Michael. No, I was going to say, it, and that you raised an important point in there of just, even if you trust a source, like I have my news sites that I go to every day, um, doesn't mean I should rely on them wholeheartedly. And I have been guilty of doing this. I just take what they say at face value because I know I've trusted them in the past. Doesn't mean that's going to be the continued trend. So just always keep that in mind of just checking what you're doing. And, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is obviously because we're talking about a subject which these theories breed on the basis of being overshared with very small snippets. And then that's how conspiracy theories grow. So the way this kind of conspiracy theory begins is back in 2015. And this was when Bill Gates gave a TED talk that was titled The Next Outbreak, We're Not Ready. And this was talking about how he examined the Ebola outbreak that killed thousands of people. And he highlighted the factors that are showing viruses spreading worldwide and that America was not ready for it. He was quoted in saying that the failure to prepare could allow the next epidemic to be dramatically more devastating than Ebola. And then obviously when this all started kicking off, this was shown to be more kind of canon of, of what was happening and why weren't people listening to Bill Gates when this was happening. So 
when this talk happened and then the Gates Foundation, which is notorious for going around the world and providing vaccines and cures and just trying to do do right by the world with his insane amount of wealth. Like, I don't have the figure in front of me, but... Insane. It, it's insane. Let's just go with insane X amount of dollars. I mm -hmm. think it's an accurate amount. But he donated 250 million to fight the disease. And there were some conspiracy theorists that claimed that he is the mastermind that created this outbreak. So this started back in late January, and this was according to a you know recent New York Times investigation looking into how this came about. And it was a YouTube personality linked to a name called QAnon. And he claimed that Gates had prior knowledge of the coronavirus pandemic. And days later, you know, the websites and stuff, they were publishing pieces that stated that uh, Gates co-hosted a pandemic exercise in late 2019 that helped stimulate a global coronavirus outbreak. And when they were kind of going through all of this, it, it, it grew and grew that he, he knew about this and the, the idea that he was putting out. And the, the main thing they were talking about is that they did this uh, test of what would happen if an outbreak happened. And during that test it pretty much showed what we're kind of seeing today with with the issues that are kind of happening and everyone is starting to say that um this is a direct cause you know he knew this was going to happen he knew how to plan it based on these events and then we're seeing this conspiracy theory explode from there that it was uh, mentioned 1.2 million times in the past two months that uh, this Bill Gates and conspiracy theory was linked together. 1.2 um, million, wow. Yeah, and it was reported and, you know, the minute kind of celebrities get on it and pundits and everyone takes it. And the, the other thing that happened was there was a... The digital certificate argument, which has come up where everyone's saying that Bill Gates said that everyone should have a digital certificate to say that they are immune to a coronavirus or they've had it. And then that allows us to keep track of what's going on with people who have had it. And automatically, human reaction is to say, no, you cannot track me. You can't have access to that kind of information. But if you dig a bit deeper, it goes back to a Ask Reddit that Bill Gates part in a couple of years back where he spoke about a hypothetical digital certificate that would certify if people were vaccinated from coronavirus and his wording was very much of a hypothetically this could be a way that you could do it in order to make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future but it's not something that he would necessarily pursue and it's kind of a case of but the way that was worded allowed people to kind of latch onto that and say you know the rich and the powerful want this opportunity to have a worldwide digital ID and uh, the system could store information on you, vaccinations, histories, rights of services, access, everything like that. And that's kind of where that came from. And now you see hashtags popping up everywhere of like hashtag Bill Gates vaccine and that he is the one that wants to do this. And, and a subset of this is one that's been going on for a while because he does a lot of work in Africa providing vaccines and cures and information. And there's been a, a theory going around there that the, the vaccines actually provide sterilization agents. So their belief is that Bill Gates is trying to sterilize the African community as well, which is just a whole other argument I don't want to get into of just I can't comprehend as, as an okay. argument. Um, but that's pretty much the nutshell of the Bill Gates conspiracy theory. So after that, I'd like to get your kind of thoughts and any additional information you'd like to offer. Um, I have a thought on digital certificates, if, if I may start. 
right, I'm going to plug a book here. The, um, it's called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, and it's excellent. So the issue here is uh, before 9-11, and this was actually obviously a states-only situation, but it sparks, co- sparks consequences across the globe. Um, the issue is that that was the moment when we admitted that we're going to quit whining about our privacy and let the government and big tech uh, take care of our safety. That's step one. Um, this has devolved to the situation where we are now, where we don't care what Google or Facebook knows about us, which is a lot. We don't care anymore. I know about these things, and again, I don't care. Like I, I go and log in with Google in all sorts of places. And the situation here is that this has created a behavioral futures economy, which is, uh, in, in fact, like betting on what you are going to do or want or buy based on your behavior online, which is terrifying. Um, and it's really curious to see how we've lived for the last how many years since 2001 like this and we don't care. And now at this point, people are kind of half waking up and going, oh, wait, but I don't want to be tracked. But you do, though. Like you are already being tracked and sort of, I'm not going to go as far as to say manipulated, but but yeah, in fact, yeah, manipulated. You can make that argument. There's no, Thank there's you. no issue making that argument. Uh, Joshua? <laughs> yes, yeah, so... Uh... Yeah, I I am with you on that. I I've actually heard of that book and know of it, but I haven't read it yet and it does seem like it's very spot on with a lot of the stuff that at least I'm aware of that it covers. Um the things that I wanted to hit on uh were a little overall, I guess. One would be the idea of the Hegelian dialectic and that is usually described as problem reaction solution and that's how people act and react and societies react this way where there's something that happens, there's an event, there's a problem, there's a crisis, people react in a certain way and then based on that reaction there is a solution that they seek after. And so the more conspiratorial side of things would be that if you are someone with a lot of power whether that be someone like a Bill Gates or someone like a uh, Rockefeller or uh, the Rothschilds, you know, any of these big names that we know have a lot of power that are all over all the conspiracy theories. Well, if any of them were to use the Hegelian dialectic, then they could steer society in a direction they want. And if you think about it, if someone has billions of dollars, what else is there? They can buy literally anything they could possibly want and so could their entire family and probably for generations their entire family. So what else is there? There's there's power. And if you want to have a real impact on society and humanity, then there is no greater impact than actually steering something for society as a whole or the human race as a whole. And so there are people that see this and say, hey, this is something that's happening. And when we talk about scenarios that were ran, uh, Event 201 is the one you're referring to, where uh, Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation, along with the World Health Organization, Johnson & Johnson, a lot of really big names, they got together, ran a simulation on a coronavirus mm-hmm. that escaped, and uh, yeah, massive pandemic and all these things that happened, and a lot of them are playing out. 
Well, if you take this Hegelian dialectic conspiratorial view of, well, if someone's looking for a problem reaction solution, they have a solution they want. They have a goal. They have an end game, at least to a degree. They have a direction they want things to go. Well, in order to get it there, they've got to get society to have a certain reaction. That way, they are looking for this solution you want to provide them. Well, if you know what problem you can present, what crisis you can instill in order to get that reaction, and then they demand your solution, then you can get what you want overall. And so if you're running scenarios like this, and you have already planned it out, you've already gamed it out, and you know that if a big pandemic happens that's roughly like this, then there will likely be this reaction by the public, and then you obviously know what kind of solutions people will be seeking and so it's not necessarily that that means that Bill Gates released the virus. But what I would say is that I am sure that Bill Gates is taking full advantage of the crisis. Uh, you have the idea of never let a good crisis go to waste. And you've seen that Bill Gates has been pushing for years uh, vaccines all around the world. He's actually uh, been... He was, where was it? I think it was in India, but you can fact check me on that because I'm not 100% positive. But he was actually convicted of crimes against the people there for testing vaccines on people. Um, there's a lot of stories out of Africa that people are upset with the Gates Foundation and vaccines mm -hmm. that have uh, taken place there. So vaccines is one big deal. Eugenics is another really big one mm -hmm. that uh, his father helped run Plant Parenthood. And if you look at the history of Planned Parenthood, that's kind of how that started with Margaret Sanger and the eugenics movement and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's kind of, that was their at least original goal. And then moving forward to now, Bill Gates has talked about how the world can only sustain a certain amount of people and we need to deal with population control. And that's a really big push for him. And then he's also pushed for an international ID, like what you've mentioned and referenced. He's talked about digital certificates, even microchips, and different things like this. And uh, one specific I could call out that I know off the top of my head is the ID2020 initiative. And Microsoft is a part of that, as well as the... I believe it's called the Gavi Vaccine Alliance. And when I looked into that and looked at the partners associated with that, it's the Rockefeller Foundation, the Gates <laughs> Foundation, um, all these same groups, that the names that come up over and over again. But my point is that if you really want to push vaccines worldwide and you have a eugenics-based agenda and you want people to have to all have these identifications where governments, corporations, whoever can track them and trace them and monitor them and collect data, what better way than to take full advantage of a crisis like this? And if you've already gamed the system ahead of time and you know what likely will happen, and because of that, you say, you are the expert, uh, you have ran the scenario, so governments, listen to our recommendations. We've already been through this before, and you can do this, and that will help stop everything, and this will fix your problem, and you provide that solution that you want. And so it seems to all play in where I can't say that uh, Bill Gates started the coronavirus, and I do not think that he did. But I would say he is taking full advantage and pushing and getting a lot of these agendas that he has wanted. He is a man of power. Mm -hmm. The foundation is a lot like the Rockefeller Foundation was and probably still is, where there's a lot of influence there behind the scenes. And so there are conspiratorial aspects that I would say are true, but I'm with you. I do not think that Bill Gates started the coronavirus. Excellent. No, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I was going to say, thumbs, thumbs up, thumbs down for these theories. Uh, I do want to dig into this a little bit deeper, but while we're here, in S, thumbs up, thumbs down, did Bill Gates start the coronavirus? 
thumbs down. Thumbs down, Joshua. Uh, I, thumbs I, I don't down. Think but but yeah, it's what Joshua said said right. Like we don't know what's going on in the corridors of power. Something is going on. Not necessarily something as simple as look, I'm going to release a virus and then get rich with the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I think it's more complicated than that. Of course, you know, you'd be kind of naive to think that obviously it comes down to being a business and, and you've got to take advantage of opportunities that come around and, and what you have available. And I, I do agree with you, Joshua and Ines as well about there will with be that in mind. Can I interrupt for just please one do. second? Please do. Okay. I just have a short correction to make. I glanced at my notes with the, uh, global ID initiative, ID 2020, the partners, there were Microsoft, the Rockefeller foundation and the Gavi vaccine Alliance. And then the Gavi Vaccine Alliance is made up of the Gates Foundation, World mm-hmm. Health Organization, and World Bank, among a few others. Very so, nice. A lot of those names that come up a lot in conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to mention those names a lot. Number two. Now, I wanted to put this one second because I, it's gained a lot of traction, but I find it really interesting. As someone who works in, in, in the tech space and deals a lot with this... I can't see any rational reason behind it, and I'm hoping one of you can kind of tell me what I'm missing here. But this is the idea that 5G is causing coronavirus. The the implementation of 5G across the world is what's leading to this. I wanted to kind of give uh, a bit of background. I was doing research in this because I really find it interesting, that this kind of theory and this idea, because... We see this every time, back in the 1800s, the installation of uh, telephone lines. You look at the 90s, the use of mobile phones. I remember once being in a library, it was like 90s talking about, you know, don't put your cell phone to your head, otherwise it will cause cancer. That was a straight up fact. That was just preached as fact. And and now we're seeing it again with 5G. It's this this new high-speed technology that's coming through. And there's a great piece that I've been reading on Wired by James Temperton, and he actually delves into the backstory of where this 5G kind of causing conspiracy, sorry, causing coronavirus comes from. We really shouldn't have done an episode that has coronavirus and conspiracy. They're very similar words. Um, but it's fantastic. So on January 22nd, there was a Belgian newspaper that published an interview with a doctor who was called Chris van Kirchkoven, and he's a general practitioner and he lives near Antwerp. And there was a headline that was published and the headline read this. Okay, so you're, you're shopping for your dailies and you read 5G is life threatening and no one knows it. That's the headline. So... There's this claim that he put out where he's talking about, um, he didn't just claim that it was dangerous, he was talking about how it's this this horrible thing that's coming. Now, bearing in mind, this, this interview, this article was published on January 22nd, so at the time of the outbreak, you know, compared to what we're dealing with now, at that time it can claim like nine lives and infected 400 people just over 400 people so and all of that was happening in 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 wuhan over in china so with that kind of heading that was like link meant to coronavirus um there was just this kind of influx of journalists being like okay let's take this and run with it and saying that you know since 2019 a number of 5g cell towers have been built around wuhan and could the two things be related and this is this is exactly why I raised this point at the start of the podcast, because Verka Chalfkin said, I've not done a fact check, 
before relying that, but it may be a link to current events. So he used the two words, which I'm cautioning against for this whole podcast. I have not done a fact check, but it may be linked with current events. And the problem with this is it was quickly picked up by, you know, anti-5G campaigners. And this was taken and it was put on like Facebook pages and the groups and there was quotes to the articles. And they claimed that, you know, this is the proof that we've been looking for. You know, we've been telling you that, you know, 5G is going on and... I've been mentioning about power lines and and cell phones and stuff, and it kind of allows, as we've mentioned previously, Ines, as you mentioned, of um, giving people the proof that they need to support their theory and going on with that. Um, And then from this, you know, you saw it appear on YouTube and you saw talk show hosts. Even one of our BBC News reporters was on live television and was like, yeah, seems pretty legit. And now it's being in, in, like investigated by Ofcom for his comments on it. Um, And these videos are getting tens and thousands and thousands of views. You're seeing it across social media um, that it kind of surrounded the chain. And it it just supports the motion of what we're kind of seeing. Um, There's a petition on change.org that has like 110,000 figures, uh, signatures, sorry, that claim that the symptoms of exposure to 5G are very much like the symptoms of coronavirus. And across the UK, we've seen a number of like 5G masks being burnt and being destroyed like it's Victorian times. They're witches. And we're seeing people being attacked for... Because a lot of theories are saying like, well, why are these people still working? They they must be working in order to keep the, the movement going and to keep the, the virus and everything happening and to keep the 5G moving. Um, but in reality people who work in that space are essential workers they've got to keep the the network grids running and they've got to keep everything to to a degree now i i have some some evidence to kind of debunk 5g but i just i first wanted to to kind of get your thoughts on what i've just read about the the news report and how it got picked up and kind of rolled with from there uh the only side comment i would have is slightly not related to what you just said but uh but slightly is um so the only i could see as being reasonable and possible to 5g being linked to coronavirus would be that maybe we do know that these types of, of fields and electromagnetic radiation and these signals they do have an effect on one's body and the mm-hmm. more that you have there can be uh issues with high exposure and so the one link that i could say maybe possible is maybe that people's immune systems are more compromised due to this, that their body is dealing with this low level radiation at all times in the background always. And that that compromises one's immune system, which would make them a lot more susceptible to something like a coronavirus. So uh, I could see that. I, I don't know that, but that that's an aspect that I could see as being possible, but I'm with you. Yeah. The whole 5g thing. I, I am not buying it. Excellent. Ines, initial thoughts? Yeah, that's a re- first, that's a really cool thought. So something that could be possible, none of us here being medical experts, would be that 5G and other technologies are kind of worsening the, the phone. Um, <laughs> but I want to say also that, okay, sorry if I have a suspicious mind, but I think that there is an element of racism in this 
Um, before coronavirus, we were all worrying about Huawei, which is the company associated with 5G in the UK. We've had many, many concerns about whether we want Huawei in our critical infrastructure, and if so, to what extent. I'm not going to go into that. Um, and also, the virus originated in China, and I think that for many people, it's going to be easy to sort of collate that in their minds and make it a another ethnicity's problem. Mm. Um, and I think it kind of channels aggression in ways that people really need to channel it because the destruction of property and the attacks on engineers, for example, who, by the way, are the guys and girls keeping your Netflix up, so leave them alone. You need them. Um, <laughs> yes, trust them, essential workers. Um, and this show of aggression and the destruction of public property is exactly that, right? It shows that behind the industry is not a reason discourse, as Joshua was, was saying, but rather a lot of aggression and fear that need to be directed at other people and unknown things, which for now is 5G. So, yeah, overall terrified. That's my rating. <laughs> You're seeing a lot of the shift, and this is an episode we're going to get to in the future talking about um, civil unrest and, and the approach to this. And the news stories that are kind of worrying me at the moment, that you're, seeing, you're seeing a lot from, from the Trump administration talking about the immediate blame of this is China's fault. And then China is immediately throwing okay. that ball back. And it's, it's that very dangerous back and forth that we're starting to see creep into the agenda and... I, I don't mean to pick on the Trump administration. He just makes it easy. Um, <laughs> blaming <Very>. blaming <laughs> the WHO for, for funding China and cutting off funding from that aspect. It's, a, it's very dangerous words that are being thrown around at the moment. And I think once the dust settles and the fingers start coming out of pointing blame at WHO, that's when we're in real trouble. And that's what I'm most concerned about coming forward. Well, it is interesting that the U.S. did help fund a lot of the research in Wuhan at that lab, and the WHO also funded a lot. <laughs> there are connections to the Gates Foundation. There are connections to Dr. Fauci and, what is that group, NIAID. There was a group that Dr. Fauci, it's an organization that he ran, and um, they contributed to a lot of research, and a lot of that was at that Wuhan lab that they donated a lot of money to. So there are some true aspects of money coming from these sources going to Wuhan. And yes, they probably are testing bioweapons. They do collect coronaviruses and they mutate them. And you've got something called gain of function research that um, I read a New York Times article from 2014 recently that was talking about this gain of function research being done by Dr. Fauci that is unethical, they said, and that something could get out. And the idea of gain of function is that you take a function of a virus and you gain it, you, you increase mm. it. So whether it be mortality rate or incubation period or whatever, you increase its effectiveness and you do tests on that and then you run and make vaccines for that and antidotes for that is at least the goal or bioweapons, depending on uh, what side you take, probably both, really <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, going on. And that had been called out in mainstream media, but you don't really hear all that much about that. Instead, you have, yeah, just Trump just you know, throwing out these random comments that really aren't backed up by anything. Mm -hmm. And that's what people focus on. And they debunk it and say it's nothing. But there is some, there's a legitimate concern about the research that was going on prior and the funding and where all that came from. 
And, uh, and I'll get into, maybe after we talk about this next uh, conspiracy theory, I'll get into a potential timeline for maybe the coronavirus not originating in Wuhan. Very nice. I look forward to that. Um, in the meantime, though, I think it's the same thing, right? So you are looking for someone to blame. And you have that lab in Wuhan, very convenient because you already know the city. So you just incorporate it into your, I don't know, internal list of things you believe. Um, but the thing is that there isn't much question right now. Okay, what are we doing with virology? How are, how are we uh, confronting that? What are we doing with biological weapons? That conversation somehow has not entered at least my corner of the internet. Um, and I think it's, it only points to show that we want one scapegoat. We are not opening a global dialogue on, okay, how are we dealing with health and illness now? Mm -hmm. and, and this is what the main takeaway should be from an ideolo ideological standpoint. It should be, uh, as you say, Ines, it should be, let's work together. Let's make sure this doesn't happen again. Let's, as we mentioned, Bill Gates before, he was talking about this back in 2015, how do we kind of respond to these kind of things in the future? And I, I think, I don't know if you agree with me, but we might not get to that stage. Oh, I hope we... Uh, Optimism. I hope we have a thing. Let's go optimistic. Um, before we move on to the last conspiracy theory, I do just want to talk like a couple more things about 5G and in the sense of how it can be kind of reduced. You know, we were talking about how 5G causes these symptoms and that's how it's linked. But you've got to also look at that there's countries that don't even have 5G antennas that are being affected by this coronavirus, which is like point number one for me. Countries such as Iran, which has had a horrible outbreak, they don't have 5G antennas there. And that's, you know, that should be really. Um, but when, when you look at this, you mentioned about electromagnetic radi radiation and how that causes harm. So if, if we break that down a little bit further, you know, 5G, it uses there's an electromagnetic spectrum which works anywhere from AM radio all the way up to nuclear power, which I, I think we can all agree is probably the worst thing you can be exposed to. Um, but this probably, per portion, yeah. probably, yeah. This portion itself, you know, it goes from the 22 gigahertz to the 86 gigahertz. So that's, um, and that's even less than in the UK. We're close to the 22 gigahertz that's going to be used over here. And that amount of radiation is absolutely incapable of breaking molecular bonds. It's impossible of knocking off electrons from atoms. Um, and it's completely impossible to causing the molecule to have an electric charge, which, you know, provoke those main health dangers that are associated with that level of radiation. So I think that's kind of my main takeaway from that. It's it it, it, it doesn't really match up for me personally. You know, yeah. there's there's a lot of countries that don't have this, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And you know, radiation sickness and acute radiation syndrome has a lot of issues, and we know this from issues back in the past with Japan. And a lot of the issues that are caused are coming down to, as we know, you get a persistent cough, you get a high fever, um, in the issues in the lungs but a lot of radiation come from bone marrow and headaches and um hair loss that kind of stuff so it, it's that kind of differentiator and the coronavirus itself 
as I mentioned, the symptoms there, the, the whole word corona is the Latin word for crown, meaning that when you look at this through a microscope, it, it's got this kind of crown figment to it that attaches mm-hmm. to to the cells and um, it penetrates that kind of outer wall. And that's where the name kind of originates from. So, you know, there is studies into what actual coronavirus is, but I, I know that's difficult to kind of accept when you kind of have that that view, yeah. which is what we've discussed. But um, th- was, that's my takeaway. Sorry, it's what Joshua is saying, actually, that conspiracy theory is something might be true, but when you put it in really plain terms that don't really express the sort of the depth of the whole issue, people might just take the most plain and understandable thing and just run away with it. Yes, exactly. They'll ignore what I say and do what they want. More power well, to Well, and them. I'd say that if there was a real effect from 5G and this type of radiation, it's such a low level that it wouldn't even show up for probably another decade or more before we could actually see the effect that it does have. So... Uh, yeah, I, I'm not buying that it's causing coronavirus or that you could do a six-month study and really figure all this out. It, it's probably a long-term deal, kind of like GMOs. GMO foods have been proven to be safe and that they don't have any effect on the body. However, there have been studies on rats, for example, where after multiple generations of eating GMO foods, there is a lower um, uh, re- reproductive rate in those rats. And so that's a gen- issue. Things like they're, talk- they're talking about yeah, low levels of radiation exposure all day long, every day for someone's life. You know, it's probably going to take a long time before that might actually have an effect. Just like uh, uh, genetically altering something uh, in a very slight way, that, that's probably not going to affect you right away. And there's a lot of things like this that, yeah, again, you get these conspiracy theories and people latch on to this stuff where, oh, you know, it's the end of the world, when in reality, this is probably a very long-term and actually fairly minor issue that has some truth to it, but uh, definitely not uh, to the extent of, yeah, 5G is causing coronavirus. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you're going to talk about a timeline now. I'm really interested in that. Um, but also, it's this is exactly the point. It's really convenient to say, okay, I found the culprit here. Here it is. It's 5G. And somehow the whole thing developed over four months. Um, the only way we will know exactly what the influence is, for example, in my generation, uh, I got my first mobile phone when I was, I think, 15. I was born in 1990. And my parents didn't love phones. Um so the issue is that we will know how the intensive use of mobile phones has affected my generation when we are in our 60s and we run tests and we go, okay, how has this affected a person over their lifetime? It's not possible to say uh, this thing that is, as you say, fairly minor and symptoms are not apparent. Somehow it has exploded over four months. Yeah, sure. I hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. It's it's that time versus results thing. We we can't understand. We can do theories. We can run simulations, but as you say, it, it's impossible to know until you actually get to that point. Well, even if it is having a major effect, how in the world can you filter out every other factor and isolate that it's five G that's doing this? I mean, that's even if it was, you couldn't figure that out. You can't verify that. No, not at all. But you can believe it. <laughs> you can. <laughs> so the final one comes from obviously the whole start of this, where it began back in December. If you remember that, when you could see people and spend Christmas with families, seems like a lifetime ago. 
there was this idea or you know this whole thing originated from the idea that there was a issue where someone went to a wet market and they ate a bat which was containing the coronavirus symptom and then that was patient zero and so on and so forth since then there's been a lot of discussion about did the coronavirus actually originate from a chinese laboratory so was this through research which we've mentioned previously in this podcast and was this kind of a original plan for developing a vaccine and then it was kind of released for testing and it got out of control the most concerning thing about this is a lot of major government organizations have lent theory to this and this is what i was talking about in the last bit about the dangers of pointing fingers when this is over boris johnson's government has considered the possibility this happened trump has i'll put air quotes considered possibility but has pretty much pointed fingers at this and there's, there's been a lot of issues across a lot of governments going has this come from a from a chinese laboratory and, and gone from there and I'm going to go into what's happened and some of the research to this, but again, initial thoughts of uh, how you perceive this. Oh, Joshua first. Okay, so uh, do you want me to go ahead and get into my proposed timeline here? Please, please. I'm looking okay. forward to that. Okay, so um, the U.S. has a facility kind of similar to the Wuhan facility, and that's called Fort Detrick. And that facility has been known to have some issues in the past. Uh, there was the anthrax attacks that happened after 9-11, and it is believed that a Dr. Ivans that worked there was the one that got out that anthrax and that uh, this wasn't actually a terrorist event. But he conveniently committed suicide shortly after that, and so uh, the story was dropped. But there was also an issue uh, later on in 2009 where there were pathogens that Fort Detrick laboratories were working on that were not recorded and not listed. So they were dealing with these unknown pathogens and viruses and running tests on them and doing gain-of-function research without actually uh, saying that they were doing so. And so the interesting thing related to now is that Fort Detrick was closed in August of last year, uh, which is just prior to all of this coronavirus um, pandemic that happened. And when it was shut down, it was because of their containment issues, that they did not have the proper containment for their pathogens, and therefore the CDC actually completely shut them down and shut down their research. Well, shortly after this, there were some military games that were held in Wuhan, China, where China says that a lot of the Americans... There is also a timeline issue where... You've got Italy that said in Lombardy they had cases before the first reported Chinese case. You've got cases in America where people had died and have been uh, autopsied post-mortem and tested post-mortem and shown to have had the coronavirus before they thought it was even in America. Um, you've got... Yeah, you've got an issue with some of the aircraft carriers. There's, I know at least two. One went to France. I don't know where the other one went. But um, they ended up being totally infected with coronavirus. They were American soldiers. And it turns out that they had left port before the coronavirus got to their locations. And so there are some timeline issues there on when this virus really came out and where it might have come from. Uh, Italy, I believe, said that roughly 80% of their cases can be traced back to America. China is pointing at America, and you have this Fort Detrick issue. Um, it, yeah, that's it's nothing that I can confirm at all. It's a conspiracy theory, I guess I would say, for now. Um, but that, to me, 
uh, has a lot more promise than someone eating a raw bat and contracting a virus. Um, I, I would not be in doubt much that it got out of the Wuhan facility either. I'm, I'm sure that's very possible. Um, the more conspiratorial aspects that are very interesting is some people say that it might be a genetically targeted bioweapon. And so the idea here is that uh, Iran is one of the big players that it would be targeting. Apparently, I'm not positive on this, but from what I have heard, the genetic DNA uh, aspects of someone that is Italian or Spanish uh, matches more closely with Iranians than any other place in Europe. And you do see that Spain and Italy were hit pretty hard. That Iran was, yes, uh, <laughs> Iran was hit very hard. Um, you've also got, uh, where were some other places? China. And that is also known as a bad guy in the East that America has major issues with and all the Western powers. All of these places that got hit the hardest are places that have kind of uh, bucked the world authorities recently in the past years. You had the separatist movement in Catalonia. You had uh, Italy that got upset when the UN uh, ousted their democratically elected president and put in a technocrat that was unelected. They didn't like that very much. At least some people didn't. And uh, you have, of course, China, which is ultimate bad guy and Iran bad guy as well. And all of these are the places that have been the hardest hit. So there's also that aspect, whether that's genetic or targeted or who knows what, if it's a bioweapon, that at least makes sense. Um, and then the other conspiracy theory that I've heard that's interesting, at least, is that there was this strange vaping illness that was sweeping the country last fall. Mm. And yeah, the happened. symptoms, yeah. yeah, yeah, the symptoms correlate pretty much exactly with the coronavirus. And so it's really interesting is respiratory issues in their lungs. And there were even some like healthy middle aged people that got it and died. And they traced it, they said, to vitamin E being used as something to cut, uh, I believe it was THC oil that people were using and buying. It wasn't even regulated. It was people buying the stuff on the streets where pot wasn't legal and you can vape it somehow and they're cutting it with vitamin E. And that vitamin E is an agent that apparently had this effect. And that was the explanation given. And then it kind of just disappeared. Um, but that was happening around the same time, as well as we were having an extra bad flu season, and especially related to respiratory issues related to influenza. And all of this was happening before the coronavirus got out. But if you look at the Fort Detrick timeline and these other things that were happening that seem very similar to coronavirus, um, there is a decent chance that this was out and about well before uh, the supposed bat was eaten in China. And so uh, there are some, there are many interesting aspects. None of these obviously um, are ones that I can completely verify, but they're ones that at least pique my interest and some of which to some degree do sound credible. And so it, it's very interesting to say the least. To say the least. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, okay, uh, I come from a family of vapors, so I'm very happy to hear it's not the vaping. Um, well, I found the, the vaping very interesting when that all kind of broke, because I was kind of quitting smoking and vaping at the time as well, and it was like, oh shit, what's going to happen here? But it was all happening in America, and I kind of came up with my own little conspiracy theory, and then I found people online who supported it, and I was like, ooh, and then I started to go in that rabbit hole, which is dangerous. Oh, but, no. you know... Um, American tobacco industry is so huge and so massive. And it was, I remember seeing pictures online of just like supermarkets being like, Hey, 
don't buy vaping, <laughs> they're bad products. And then you just got this stack of cigarettes next to it. Just be like, but cigarettes are okay. Like, yeah, they kill you in the long term, but it's a, it's a longer process than vaping. And I just find that really interesting to kind of look at. Well, and you can get into kind of similar to contractors in 9-11, where yeah. it was, you know, big companies that benefited. And with vaping, if your big tobacco companies who have gotten into the vaping game, but they're just getting into it, if they can uh, have an issue that comes up and then they demand regulation and make sure the government cracks down to keep, you know, their citizens safe. Well, when that happens, the little guy gets pushed out because they can't afford to meet all these different regulation hurdles and all these fees. And who's left? None other than big tobacco that comes and saves the day. So uh, they definitely benefit from this. (laughs) (laughs) Old faithful. Uh, Okay, I had not seen um, anything about that aspect of the theory. Um, I'm going to advance an opposite theory. This Mm -hmm. is not necessarily what I believe, and even more so after listening to Joshua, I will process that in due time. Um, But, so I was reading a book. I started reading it uh, on my first day of lockdown. I did not know its topic. It was by a writer I like. His name is Chuck Wendig. Please, everyone, check his Twitter. It's gold. Um, and this book was about a pandemic. So imagine my joy. It, it had started in China and through bats. It's 800 pages long. I read them. Um, deeply traumatized. And the thing is that apparently there's diseases in bats. So, okay. Bats are apparently very good at containing diseases between the community mm. because they are, you know, they hide from sight fairly much. And like there's viruses that vary um, that sort of are very contagious among bats, but they never make the jump. I think it's called um, zoo, zoogenic. I think, <laughs> I think the, the jump from uh, animal to human. I'm going to confirm this. I'm not sure. Um, so the thing is, that bats uh, get coronaviruses all the time, but they never make the jump to human, right? So wherever this came from, I'm going to advance a little thought uh, for what is known as an act of God. Now, before you assume my religion, which does not exist much, um, the thing is that the act of God is actually a legal term. And as far as I know, um, it's present in many, many legislations. Um, the term an act of God means something that could not be uh, predicted or stopped. So, for example, what if there was one bat somewhere in a lab, in a cave, I don't care, that somehow, through sort of life's little unpredictable jumps, reached a human in whatever way, eating or just scratching them, I don't know, whatever. This is how it happened in the in the Wendig book, so I'm now scarred for life. But there is also a possibility that this was just an accident and i'm so sorry because it's not a satisfying explanation at all but maybe something to be considered life is very weird it's true you know there there is that element that it could just be be an accident i'll, I'll go into to more details now that we've kind of discussed um ideas around it and there's been a lot of reports and the Washington Post has been good at kind of publicizing theories that um, are showing that, you know, there's 
virus from experts are saying that it's a naturally occurring virus it's not man-made and then you saw that assessment was confirmed by a team of researchers that was left led by christian g anderson who published a finding um in the march 17th edition of the journal nature medicine which you can kind of check out to see the research of how it's more of a, a natural occurrence that's going on but there's as we've been discussing there's this massive issue and joshua you raised it of obviously the u.s government has financial support for that research lab in wuhan and the debate always comes down to where did that first infection come from and it's always been talked about happening at that wet market but ever since then so wet market is where you would kind of sell fish and animals so yeah exactly which is an issue that has happened in China a lot, and there's been many warnings about it because we've had a lot of these viruses originate from these kind of markets and this kind of food consumption of exotic animals that are not necessarily tested and unknown to have these disease, but they make good eatings apparently, so it just goes ahead. Um, but as early as the end of January, there was um, the magazine called Science. They published an article that was entitled Questioning the Official Theory that Virus Has Been Transmitted from an Animal to a Human at the Wet Market. And then there was another study published in the Medical Journal of The Lancet that concluded that 13 of the first 41 people diagnosed with COVID-19 had no such contact whatsoever with the Wuhan market. So... More of it's likely that, you know, patient zero, the first person that got infected back in November, um, there was no kind of connection to the market. Um, and this is coming from a professor of the infectious disease at Georgetown um, made that statement to the US. So there's a lot of concerns around that kind of statistic of and there's the, the reliability of how people are connected to coming in contact with people who have these illnesses and how they kind of run and, and move that forward but from from that research alone it kind of makes you go hmm, hang on a minute and then you delve into what joshua was saying and this is one of the conspiracy theories which i mentioned you joshua that is very much like there, there, there might be something there i don't know yeah hmm. there's some stuff to dig into but i'd like to know here i pose the question okay since we're pointing fingers what are we pointing them at because imagine this um, Wuhan is carrying out research on coronaviruses in bats. Mm-hmm. Cool, for whatever purpose. Someone gets scratched or someone finds a bat really, really cute and they want it for a pet. I don't care. Somehow that virus gets out. Are we pointing the, fi- the finger at the entire field of virology or at all of the bats? Like, what? You know, what is our ultimate culprit here when trying to find certainty in this conspiracy theory? Well, this is the danger, and this is what I was alluding to when we get to this point of pointing blame, because as you mentioned earlier, Joshua and Ernest, there's always that scapegoat. We've seen it recently. If there's a, there's a major issue going on, there's that one person that falls behind. And I think because of the size and the scope of this, it will be one nation to blame. And there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and a lot of kind of back and forth and... Yes, it originated, and yes, there's a, a a virology lab for testing, which is a very important aspect of what we need um, in human society for understanding this stuff. But um, you're right in us; it's it's something that we I can't answer right now, and I don't think anyone can answer. We have to see how it plays out, and I hope there isn't a blaming game. I hope we get to the point which you were discussing earlier, where it's like, okay, this has happened. How do we stop it happening again? 
But then we bring in the other argument of like, what if this was bought in for a reason? Blah, 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 all of that kind of stuff. And yeah. that's that's the concern. And it's interesting to see how this develops. You've got such major powers such as the US, such as the UK, pointing fingers at the East, and then you've got fingers in the East pointing fingers at the West. It, it's kind of a powder keg situation, which is a dangerous situation to look at, especially when you're looking at how the economy could end up functioning afterwards. There's, there's, there's a lot of elements to kind of consider over the next year, two years. Yeah, I predict uh, it's going to be a bit bad. So, uh, guys, I have a degree, I have a master's degree in conflict studies. Not a joke, I did that for two years. Um, so the root of conflict is known to be uh, fear, right? Because you have fear about covering your basic needs. We are all thinking about Maslow's pyramid. Um, so when you have fear about any of these sort of stages or needs being threatened, uh, you react with violence. This is a hormonal, a hormonal response in the body. You have fight or flight and you choose fight. Um, so the thing is, after all this, we well, and even now, we have an entire global population full of fear, which is going to revert in some way or other in violence. We were talking before about the 5G masts. That's an excellent expression of that. Um, and I think the blaming game is going to get nasty. Mm-hmm. And and also, I think another blaming game which has happened is not being honest with the facts of what was happening in in the get go. There's reports coming out now that you know the actual impact is like forty points higher than what was reported and and what was kind of outlined. And there's no secret. I think we can all agree that this has been an issue with China in the past and the government system and the way news is portrayed. Um, do you, do you think that will have kind of a damaging impact as kind of the first accusation point of not reporting the facts so other nations could prepare? Even though, especially from a UK standpoint, we were given the news and the expected outcome from Italy and we still didn't react in time. Um, no, I think it's going to go every which way. There's going to be as many blaming games as there are humans alive. Um, which is why I think it's going to get nasty. Uh, people are going to express this violence and this fear in many different ways. And in these situations, any excuse will do. You don't need to have a valid reason for reacting with fear to something. Mm. Joshua? Yeah, I've got some, yeah, I've definitely got some theories on where things go from here. It really doesn't matter which or if any of these conspiracy theories are true, it really doesn't matter where the virus came from. It doesn't matter what country it's from. It doesn't matter who blames who. None of this ultimately matter, in my opinion at least, at least to the same extent as what matters is the effect that this has on us from now on. We've mentioned the 9-11 parallel. There were things like in America, you had the, um, what was it? Department of Homeland Security was brand new. The TSA was brand new. The Patriot Act where the government could spy on citizens and people were okay with that. They were cheering for it. All of that was new and that still exists today. I think the same thing is going to happen with this, where a lot of these changes that are happening, these policies being implemented, you see a lot more dictatorial power being uh, taken by people like Trump or Boris Johnson and different leaders around the world, where you have governments uh, taking this authoritarian approach. And uh, China, for example, that's one of the areas that they're being praised in is that they really cracked down at one point. And when they did, 
things got a lot better. Now, yes, the argument is that they should have done it sooner, they should have released information sooner, you know, all these things. But the one aspect that I've seen praised about China is when they really did crack, crack down. And how they crack down is that now, if you live in one of those areas, uh, the government mandates that you have an app on your phone. And with that app, they had they know who you are. They can track your location data, which, by the way, our government in America is doing, and I'm sure just about everyone in Europe is doing as well. Um, so they can track your location data. They know who you are. They know where you're going, and they run an algorithm to see your risk level. And if your uh, app shows a green symbol, then you are good to go. If it's a yellow symbol, then you might have come in contact, and there are certain rules about what you can do because of that. If it's red, then you are to be quarantined. And these people are not getting tested. It's not like they have their coronavirus. It's just that uh, some algorithm or some person or somebody told them that they are a high risk. Therefore, they get isolated in their home. And if they don't, their local police knows it by looking at their location data. And so we see this aspect of what I'm talking about with technocracy, where you're using data, you're using information, you're using technology to make decisions about running a society like this is happening and this is happening all around the world. There are drones now in the US that are going around making public service announcements and doing crowd control. And that way the police don't have to come in contact with the individual citizens and you know, we're stopping the spread, this type of thing. And we see all these things that are being implemented this shift towards technology. Well, what happens when everybody is at home doing all their things remotely? That is creating the highest amount of data that has ever been created in all of history. And corporations are getting this and governments are getting this data. Uh, what are they going to do? They're just going to say, oh, well, you know, this is cool and move on. No, they're going to use that and they're going to use that to their own advantages. And yeah, I, I say that there are these shifts towards trusting experts. We see that the scientists are the ones that are being looked up to, um, the World Health Organization, groups like this. These worldwide experts are looked looked on as being very favorable and having the right opinions and knowing what to do. And uh, local politicians, especially nationally, are being criticized very heavily. And so, yes, these shifts are happening. And what I say is the most important aspect. It's not who did it. It's not how it happened. It's not why. It's how does society change from here? And I honestly believe that there will be some fundamental changes. I don't necessarily believe that this is the event that pushes us to a world technocracy and everything's different. But I do believe that everything will be different. And we have taken many giant leaps towards uh, that eventuality that at least I'm predicting, and I was predicting this before this stuff started happening, so I do feel at least slightly verified in my uh, my beliefs and interpretations, and we see this all throughout history with uh, these patterns throughout history and the way that things happen and the way that crises affect societies, these types of things. And so that's what I believe personally is the most important aspect is uh, what happens from here and what are these major shifts I think we could do another free podcast on this, just based on the the general ideas of what we discussed can go very deep. But uh, I must I must stop us there. I apologize, but those are kind of the three main theories that have come out of coronavirus, and it's it's crazy how over the past four months we we have just done nearly an hour and fifteen minutes just based on, or even longer than that now, hour and a half just based on 
some new theories, and this is just three of the ones that have come out over the past couple of months. So it's interesting to see where it goes. And as we mentioned previously, it'll be interesting to see where that shift goes in the future as well. And I thank you both for your insights. It's been really interesting to learn about different elements and and what we've discussed and, and each three, whether you believe them or not, or whether you are fully supportive of them, I come back to the original message that I had at the start of the podcast. Whatever you find, whatever news stories, especially from now over the next coming six months, year, two years, five years, I beg, I plead, I implore to just please read the full article. Don't read the first paragraph. Don't read the headline. Read the full article. Fact check the people they're talking about. I know it takes time. I know it's annoying, but it's better to put out correct information than some smart media like me going, have you checked your sources? Because this is wrong. So <laughs> prove me wrong. Um, please do. Please do. Uh, Joshua, please plug the podcast where people can hear you and give some more information on what's coming up next for you. Okay, yeah. So my podcast is Our Foundations. You can find that on any podcast player that you can find out there or at www.ourfoundations.podbean.com. And there you will hear me talk about this parallel that I've been uh, referencing a few times here between the shifts in the Reformation and the shifts happening now. Um, I actually took a bit of a break and just got done doing a series on relating these types of things to the coronavirus specifically. So a lot of similar things to what we've brought up today. Um, A lot of that stuff, I did a three-part series where I talked about that kind of stuff. And then I'm getting back into the interviews where I'm bringing on guests and experts that have their own podcasts about history or theology or different aspects that I'm using in these parallels to the Reformation and did some long interviews with these different people, kind of fleshing out these different ideas. And then when I'm finally done with that, which uh, will take a little while, then I'll get into doing a more solo format like I did all through season one and uh, get into a little more detail on the specific parallels and specific aspects and get into that a little bit more. So if that's interesting, please come check it out. Yeah, definitely. I'd 100% recommend it. Just search our Foundations podcast wherever you get good podcasts. But Joshua, I think that brings us to the end of this discussion. Thank you very much for coming on. You've been a, a great source of information and a great uh, great balance to kind of talk about this with. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank well, thanks you, very much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So that was our first episode in the bag, done and dusted. Thank you very much to Joshua for coming on. He's a, he's a knowledgeable little fellow, isn't he? He knows what he's he on about. knows stuff. I know. I loved it. I love talking to him. It's a good conversation and uh, lots of interesting things to, to explore and to research and for people to kind of look into. So in the next episode, we're going to be looking at media consumption and more specifically looking at how each generation is consuming media and what this means for kind of future trends of how people are going to be consuming it in the future as well. So I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. That's just going to be a, a you and me episode in this. I thought it was mm-hmm. because we both work in the media we can talk about it and have a proper kind of conversation around it. Yeah, we know stuff. We know what we're on about. (laughs) So please join us for that episode. Make sure you do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasting source, make sure you do subscribe so you can catch that next episode. If you enjoyed this, do leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you hated it, please. don't do anything just don't do anything go about your business (laughs) and we'll be back with another episode soon thank you for joining us thank you joshua and thank you always ines always a pleasure to talk to you thanks max and thanks everyone bye bye